Hi, I'm Kara Infante, and this is Bookish Flights. In each episode, I chat with one bookish guest as we take some time to sample and savor the pairing recommendations from their bookish flight. We hope to give you suggestions to cultivate your TBR list and nurture your leisure time through books. In today's episode, I am chatting with an author that is well-loved here at Bookish Flights. The book flight featuring her books is still the most downloaded episode to date. She is an award-winning author and master storyteller of more than 20 novels. Her most recent novel, The Women, launched yesterday and is set here in Coronado. I am beyond excited to share our conversation with you today. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I am just delighted to have you on the show today. There are many fans here at Bookish Flights of Kristen Hanna. In fact, episode eight, we did an entire book flight of your books, and it is still my most downloaded episode from the podcast. (laughs) Oh, well, that's exciting. Tell everyone thank you. You are very welcome. I have been a longtime reader of your books, having first discovered you from The Nightingale. I had We had just moved to Sicily, actually, overseas, and I was a new stay-at-home mom. And I had kind of lost myself in my reading life at that point from the busyness of, at that point, working full-time, becoming a mother. And having discovered The Nightingale was really the catalyst that brought me back to my reading life. And I think many listeners, I have asked every year at the end of the year, I ask what their favorite book they've read this year. And it continues to be The Nightingale. Actually, I still see it. I think I had five people tell me in 2023, it was their favorite book of the year as well. (laughs) So amazing. I keep thinking, gosh, everybody must have already read it by now, but it just, it just has this life of its own. Yeah. And there, I think I was just drawn to the relationship of the sisters, Isabel and Vianne in there. And especially having moved overseas, not knowing anyone, that relationship of the female characters and the strong females that they were really drew me in. Is there a relation a relationship in your life that has inspired these strong female relationships that you write about? Well, I mean, I think it's just me writing about the women I know, my girlfriends, my sister. I I write about my mom all the time, even though I lost her when I was very young. And I think it's just, too, as I've gotten older, I'm just so, I guess, keenly aware of how important female friendships are and, you know, women bonding together. And one of the, the key points of that is really motherhood because I was a stay-at-home mom, you know, also. And there's so many times where you just need your girlfriend to say, it's going to be okay, you'll get through this, you know, it'll be fine. And and then to celebrate the great things too. So I think I just write about the women that I know and I see, and I think they are strong and powerful and amazing. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said, what you're saying of having that friend reach out to you in the moment, in the trenches of motherhood, really, where you're like, I don't know what's up or down right now. And I don't know how to get through the day, but just to have that glimmer of hope in that friendship mm-hmm. and someone extend that hand to you is so special. Yeah. It just makes such a huge difference. And, and, you know, your girlfriend knows that you need that hand without you having to ask for it too. So it just, kind of appears like magic sometimes, you know, they show up with a glass of wine and say, we're we're just going to sit on your deck, you know, during nap time and have a glass of wine or something and regroup. And it's, it really is helpful. 
Yeah. Come into my chaos, please. (laughs) And speaking of these really close girlfriends I have um, that I met overseas, actually, they are military spouses. They're active duty women. They're reservists. And we have talked about your books constantly because this was back in 2015 or 2017. We moved there and we've talked about been talking about your books ever since. And I can tell you that many of them have said it has made it has helped them get through deployments being away from their family and your books just drew them in and really got them through those tough times when they were deployed and away from their own families wow that is that is just so amazing to hear you know i remember when i wrote homefront you know which was about um, a female blackhawk pilot slash mother who deployed I was so terrified because I'm, you know, I'm not from a military family and I was so nervous about taking on something that I felt was so important. And, um, and I met a woman who was a Blackhawk pilot and she kind of walked me through all of it and helped me. And it was just this beautiful, I don't know, I guess, entry into this other world. And once I got into there, I just couldn't leave. I was so impressed with um, you know, the military people and their families and the sacrifice and and how hard they work and how difficult life can be when you're moving all the time, you know, with kids and trying to create a new life, a new setup every couple of years. Yeah, it's you can really tell that in your writing that you do. You must do a ton of research for your novels. And I was going to ask that if you you know, have interviewed, like you just mentioned this Blackhawk pilot or, or if you travel to the places that you write about, because I feel like I get immersed in the settings of your stories very easily. So do you do any of that? I try to, um, you know, if, if I can go to the place, you know, then I definitely will. Obviously I, I don't go to war zones and, um, and of course with the women, I was unable to go to Vietnam because, it was COVID. I was writing this book during uh, the lockdown, so I wasn't able to go. So then I have to really rely on research. But the thing that's amazing is there are so many um, memoirs that people write that are just so full of time and place that, you know, I'm able to take that information and sort of put it through the mill of my imagination and, and make you feel as if you're there. Wow. I love that. I actually got to see you speak here in Coronado at your event last year when you came, when you announced the women. And I remember just the cheers going up where you mentioned that it was going to be set in Coronado and everyone was so excited about that. And there I learned that you had been an attorney prior to becoming a writer. So does that help you with your researching? Well, it's the same, I mean, the same skill set that led me to become a lawyer okay. um, helps me a lot in writing. I mean, I'm a really good reader. I'm I'm articulate. I'm research driven. I'm organizational, you know, so all of those sorts of things really helped a lot. And And there is a part of the law that is very creative. You know, if you're trying to argue that the law is one way, but it should be another way. Um, That, you know, that requires a lot of creativity. And that's what I was good at um, as a lawyer. And I probably, if I hadn't become a mother, I probably would still be a lawyer um, because it was really my, 
my decision to be an at-home mom that drove me to becoming a writer. Yeah, that resonates with me so much. I'm actually a physical therapist by trade. (laughs) Turned podcaster, well, because of the moving with the military, but also I just want to be here with my kids. So, (laughs) you know, and you know, everybody gets to make their own choice. And I don't say that one thing is right or one thing is wrong, you know, but, but that was my choice as well. It was just really important to me once I had my son to, to be there and, you know, to be the mom who was going to every sporting event and driving for every field trip, you know, until he finally said, please back off. (laughs) (laughs) Enough is enough. (laughs) What age does that happen at? My oldest is eight right now. <laughs> you got another five, six good years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so is that about the time you started writing then? Well, I actually started writing when I was pregnant. Okay. Um, I had a difficult pregnancy and so I was bedridden. And so I started writing before he was born. And then after he was born, um, you know, you're just, you have so little time and you're so tired but I would have like, you know, 30 minutes a day or something and I would write and then it expanded to nap time and, and I just started writing and it was the, it was the one hour a day or the 45 minutes a day that I did for me. Um, And, you know, it's a difficult thing as a stay at home mom too, as you well know, because you take that hour and you need it desperately and it's important to you, but you're also well aware of all the things that need to be done that you aren't doing in that hour that you now have to sort of double time, you know, to get done. And I was lucky that my husband was just really supportive um, in terms of, you know, helping out on, on everything else. Yeah. I have, now I have three hours to myself in the week, which is the first time I've had this in five years. And I've really had to set boundaries on that three hour window of like, this is not for running errands. This is for doing the podcast or going on a walk, you know, doing something for my mental, (laughs) for me and not, you know, all the things. So you have your new book, The Women, coming out here on February 6th. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about it? Uh, I'm so excited about this book. Um, I just really love it. This is a book that I've wanted to write for about 20 years. And it stems from um, my childhood. I was a child during the Vietnam War. And so it cast a big shadow across my life. Um, You know, it was on the news, everyone was talking about it. The world was very angry, very divided. There was, um, you know, a lot of conversation um, among parents and everything about it. And my best girlfriend's father was a pilot who was shot down in Vietnam. So when I was about, I think 10 or 11, I wore his prisoner of war, you know, missing in action bracelet. And so his name was physically on my body for years and years, you know, while I was sort of, I had moved on, changed uh, schools, went to college, you know, and I was always sort of remembering um, what the country was like during this and, and how the vets were treated when they came home. That made a huge impact on me. And so I had been wanting to write, you know, some version of this story for a long time, but it wasn't really until the pandemic 
um, that I thought, okay, maybe I thought this is the moment. I was in at home in lockdown in Seattle, March of 20, and I was watching the news, of course, and we were all stressed and you know nervous and um, watching the news and, and seeing how just angry everybody was and how divided the country was in terms of what they felt we should be doing or shouldn't be doing. And then I was seeing our healthcare workers, our nurse and doctor, nurses and doctors being just pushed to the brink to help others. And, you know, knowing how exhausted they were and feeling that they needed more support. And, and that was just the moment that I said, okay, I get it now. I'm going to tell the story of the, the female nurses who went to Vietnam and what their service was like over there and what it was like when they came home and how they dealt with, um, you know, coming home to a divided nation that did not welcome them back. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, we're still seeing the effects of that today from not having taken care of these vets from the Vietnam war. Exactly. And that's something, um, I just feel so strongly about, you know, I mean, I think that, um, when a country asks this kind of sacrifice of people and their families, uh, it, it, it behooves them to care for them in whatever way they need caring for when they come home. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like they've just been left, especially here in San Diego, you know, it's not, you can go down the street and see, you know, mental illness and potential veterans out on the street that were never taken care of. Yeah, it's just, it's tragic, really. And, and you'd think that we would have learned more, but yeah, I know there's a lot of groups here in San Diego that are trying to help do a lot for the veterans that are here and um, provide support for them. So that's there's great. a big community for that here. Did you talk to any nurses that had been Vietnam vets for this book? I did, actually. I had to. I mean, I got to a point in the writing where I just thought, okay, I need someone who was there to really yeah. read this and vet this, especially the... Um, you know, the, the sort of combat stuff, what it was like in the in the hospitals in Vietnam when they were under attack and what the injuries were like and all of that. And I was very fortunate. I, I found my way to a woman named Diane Carlson Evans, who had been a captain in the Army Nurse Corps. And she had uh, served in Vietnam and then came home um, and to, I guess, as part of her healing process, she set out to um, create the Women's Vietnam Memorial. And it okay. took her probably 20 years to get that wow. done. That would, you know, a place on the mall in Washington, D.C. that would celebrate the female veterans of the war um, who had been so completely and, and entirely forgotten. And she is just an amazing, amazing woman. And in fact, last month, or I guess now it's January, two months ago, she invited me to join her in Washington, D.C. for Veterans Day. Wow. And so I went down there and, you know, we were standing there in the freezing dark at the at the Women's Memorial and it was covered in flowers. And here was this like sea of female Vietnam vets, Vietnam vets, standing there you know like laughing and talking and crying and hugging each other and it was so powerful 
And I just thought, you know, when is the last time you saw this many female Vietnam vets together? And uh, it just felt really powerful and inspirational. And it's even still today such a small percentage of women that are in the military. I don't know the exact number in my head, but it is a very small number. And so I can't even imagine what it was like for them during that time. It's amazing. And having just written the book and having gone to Washington, D.C., I was watching the news quite a bit, you know, all the Veterans Day um, celebrations and, you know, talks and everybody coming on. And there was a lot about the Vietnam vets in, you know, what I was listening to. But in all the all the broadcasts I heard, I never once heard about female vets. Yeah. Um, and sort of, a, you know, any kind of special recognition of them. Yeah. And you're right. I, I'm trying to think of my head off the top of my head. I'm like, I can't think of a single time I've heard them mentioned. It's sad. And what an important topic that they provided for us in the service to our country. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these men came home in part because of the nurses who were there yeah. to, you know, treat them. Yeah. Physical therapy actually started from nurses during World War II doing the rehab on World War II. It, the men were, or men and women injured during World War II, but that was how physical therapy got its start, actually. Well, that is interesting. Makes sense. Yep. That was the birth of it back then. <laughs> so, and then my other question for you here is there's a certain emotional component to your books. I know I feel all the feels in your books, you know, hope, love, laughter. I cry in most all of them, but I feel protected in your writing. You know, it's not leaving me just heart-wrenchingly sad by the time I'm done, but do you ever get emotional in writing your books? I do sometimes. Um, okay. I think people tend to think I'm like, you know, Kathleen Turner in Romancing the Stone, just sobbing <laughs> and typing and sobbing and typing. And I'm not like that. I'm actually pretty straightforward. And it takes a while for me to really, I think, allow myself to access all of the emotions, you know, that I'm that I'm creating. But I think it's just because I... I write these female characters that are so relatable and that you really like and you feel like you know and you understand them. And then I put them through, you know, really horrible, terrible adversity in sort of creating their character and, and showing you how strong women are and how strong women can be and how important it is to learn how to stand up for yourself and speak for yourself, you know? Um, and so, so that being said, I think then it comes down to, I cry when it happens to be the kind of scenario that triggers me personally, you know, like yeah. Firefly Lane, um, yeah. the death of, of, of a mother from cancer just slays me every time, you know, yeah. which, which is why I wrote it and why I wonder why I wrote it, you know, um, <laughs> and uh, the nightingale, because there's, there's a scene in there that is about um, motherhood that just tears me apart. Man. And then this book, the women um, to, you know, Frankie's search for acceptance and respect and understanding for her service and her sacrifice, and to ultimately realize that the person whose respect she needs is her own. 
Um, and so that and and the respect of her father, you know, and her needing that, those are the kind of scenes that made me cry too. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I've always wondered, you're such a prolific writer, but do you have a favorite book that you enjoyed the most writing? You know, honestly, this has been, I I think, the most fun book I've ever written, The Women. Okay. Um, partially because I feel so strongly about every single component of it. Um, partially, I think, because there's so many pieces of it that while it's not exactly my generation, it feels like my life. You know, I was yeah. born in Huntington Beach, grew up, you know, on the beaches of Southern California um, in the early 60s. And I remember the war and, you know, I remember so many pieces of this book. So I would say this one would be the most fun to write, probably. Okay. Um, and maybe The Great Alone, because that allowed me to showcase this love I have for Alaska. I've never wanted to go to Alaska more than after reading that book. <laughs> don't go in the winter. <laughs> yeah. I say the same thing about Chicago and people are like, oh, yeah. I want to go. I'm like, don't go in the winter. <laughs> it's right. not as bad as Alaska, though, I'm sure. <laughs> what have you learned about yourself through writing? I've learned everything I know about myself, and everything I know about the world, um, in writing, because one of the things, you know, when you're a writer, the thing that you hear all the time in writing classes and otherwise is you have to find your voice as a writer. That's how you become successful is you finally find your voice and you you write to it, which sounds great, except when you're a beginning writer, you have no idea what that means and you have no idea how to go to, in search of it. And so it took me a long time to understand that my voice is not necessarily the words on the page. It's really what I believe to be true about the world okay. and how I see morality and immorality and violence and anger and what I think is important and what I think is unimportant. And so when you read my books, I mean, you know what I think is important. You know, sure. I believe in motherhood and family and honesty and integrity, you know, and those kinds of things. And that I'm constantly learning more about what I believe and how strongly I believe it by the books that I continually am drawn to write. Yeah, I imagine I'm not a writer myself, but I imagine there's a certain sense of like authenticity when you find that voice, like it just feels true to you and authentic. It does. And it, it's a great. Um, I mean, you hear from people all the time, oh, I read it one page and I knew it was you. And that's hard for me to actually recognize in myself, okay. but I certainly recognize it in other authors. Yeah. That's interesting. Having like a first person view of your own writing yeah. where in others you can, you know, other authors, yeah. you have that. So that's really interesting. Well, our listeners love to know what our favorite authors are reading. So have you always been a reader? Oh my gosh. Well, um, yes, I've always been a reader. My father um, was an adventurer. And so we were on the road a lot um looking for whatever the next whatever the next big thing was and so lots of high schools lots of junior highs lots of moving around and so and especially when you're in your 
preteen and teen years, that's a big deal. So, you know, you're moving to a new school, a new town, you never have the right haircut, you never have the right clothes, you never, you know, know the idioms and the speech patterns. And so you're constantly feeling like an outsider. Yeah. And the one thing my mom always did was wherever we went, the first stop was the library, get our library card, and then go find the book. And so the books like um, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, Dune, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, these books became my friends. You know, they were the friends that I took with me from, from town to town. And they are you can sort of track my whole life by who I was reading at the time. And, you know, Stephen King was my high school years. And so um, I can't even now remember your question, but yes, I'm a huge reader. (laughs) (laughs) And it's interesting you say that my dad was a musician and he, I have always identified music in time periods of my life. So I love that it just in a different capacity that books have been that for you. Oh, it's so interesting. And, you know, the other thing about that books and music, and you'll see that music in the women, these unite us across everything. So if you, you know, you can be listening to music in like Podunk, Idaho, that's exactly the same as (laughs) Chicago. And, you know, it it brings people together. And I think that's one of the most important um, things that the arts serve is to bring us together and to create Uh, community and empathy. Yeah. And I was thinking that as you've been talking, you know, we mentioned the COVID times and in the beginning, and I think we were missing hope at that point in the beginning. And and we were living, we were in Italy when it kicked off, we were still in Italy at that point. And just the fear, like you're saying, and, but we, people not coming together and that division was really hard. It was because that's how hope thrives and survives is by coming together. Um, And as I recall, it was particularly bad in Italy at the beginning, right? Yeah. I was also, I was pregnant with our, our last, our third child. And they were saying he was due, he was born in April of 2020. And they're like, you're, you're not going to be able to have anybody in your room except you and the doctor and the nurse. You're going to have to have a mask on while birthing. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like what? And you know, we just, they didn't know at that time. And I'm not blaming them at all. I mean, pointing fingers, we just didn't know. Right. And definitely, you know, you're thinking, well, I want to be as safe as possible. I mean, you know, this is a big moment. And and then you're in a foreign country anyway, which can be frightening. And the news out of Italy was very frightening. You know, it was every day was the death toll count. And it was just every day. I'm like, I, you know, you just have to shut the news off at a certain point. Yeah. To save your sanity. So now in your busyness of life, how do you find time to read? Well, a reader is a reader. I mean, you know, um, it's one of the ways that I think we all decompress. You know, Mm -hmm. I love to get in the bath with a book or sit on the deck with a book. And, you know, I'm now I, I obviously I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of research and I do a lot of publicity. So it's true that I don't have as much time to read as I did before, unfortunately. So that really just requires me to take vacations where I do nothing <laughs> but read. And so that's what I do now. I uh, go on vacation and uh, I, I take 10 or 15 books with me, you know, two for every day. 
this is my dream. You know, I'm like the young mother right now or like with young kids mother where I'm like, oh, I'm eventually going to have a vacation where I can bring four books and maybe I'd get through four books. Yeah, it will happen. It will happen. <laughs> love my kids, but also love reading. <laughs> and, you know, um, raise readers. And that's great too, because, yeah. you know, we used to go to like Hawaii or something and we'd have all of our little chairs set up, all of us reading. You know, my nine-year-old is reading Harry Potter right next to me. My son has actually asked if my podcast would be around forever because he wants his own children to love reading as much as he did. And I I could tear up just thinking about that. So great. <laughs> Good mom. Good job. So hopefully, you know, he's really, he is a voracious reader at eight. So we'll see. Hopefully it will persist. <laughs> so what type of genres do you enjoy reading? Oh, I... You know, I love thrillers. I love horror. I love fantasy. I love historical fiction. I like big, juicy commercial fiction and epic storytelling. Um, I'm trying to think there, there isn't a whole, I don't read a lot of Westerns, I guess, but everything else I pretty much read. That's what I was thinking. You're very varied in your genres there, which is great. <laughs> I, still have, I mean, I'm still the geek girl from, you know, way back who started in fantasy and horror and, you know, never stopped liking it. Yeah, I don't know that I would have pegged you as a horror reader based off your writing. So that's really interesting. You know, what I think it is, is for me, historical fiction feels somewhat like big fantasy, because it's world building. You know, I have to take Paris, which you think you know, and I have to show you a Paris that doesn't exactly exist, but did once exist. And so it feels kind of similar to me, I think. That's a great way of putting it. And you do, like I had mentioned that earlier, do such a great job with your setting and that strong sense of place within your books. I really feel like I am immersed in that world <laughs> yeah. or that moment or that time period of history as I'm reading them. Definitely. I mean, I and I try that. I try really hard to have time and place feel almost like a character in the book. I really like that. I've never had anybody say that on the show. So oh, really? I love that. Yeah, that it's a character in itself. Well, I mean, look at The Great Alone. Alaska is, in a way, you know, the protagonist and the antagonist. I mean, it is the thing to overcome and the thing that saves them. So, yeah, which makes total sense. Wow. Thank you. You've just changed my perspective today. I love it. <laughs> Well, and again, as listeners, we love to know what our favorite authors are reading. So can you give us a book flight today of books that have maybe influenced you or favorite books of yours? Oh, let's see. Um, one book that I always recommend that I just think is so, so wonderful and really influenced me as I moved into historical fiction was a book called Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafon. I think it is just, it's this beautiful um, it's a love story. It's an adventure. It's a mystery. I absolutely love it. Um, another one that really influenced me was, um, Pat Conroy's The Prince of Tides. Okay. That's a, a book where, um, it's really about a dysfunctional and, and difficult family and, and a, a pair of siblings trying to, I guess, shake off the, the trauma of their, their childhood and um and and heal themselves 
but it is also like we were just saying a minute ago so deeply rooted in a section of the south and a lifestyle and a way of life and a time and era that's gone that i really really loved that one and then i guess i'm just gonna go ahead and throw in anne rice's the witching hour okay um, because that was another big influence on me here is this big um multi-generational family saga about strong women sort of um coming into their own and yes, they happen to be witches and yes, it's New Orleans and there's all this um, sort of dark things going on. But at its core, it really is this, um, this book about a family under a curse and this woman trying to find her place. And I loved it. Oh, I'm so intrigued. I have read the first one, The Shadow of the Wind. Is it a trilogy or it's, there's it a is, sequel to it? I have okay. to admit that I do not necessarily recommend the entire trilogy. Okay. It goes in a place that, uh, you know, becomes very supernatural. But okay. So I really recommend the first one as historical fiction. And then you can decide on your own from there. Yeah. And I remember reading that and feeling like, I believe it was set in, I know Spain, but was yeah. it Barcelona? And I remember yeah. feeling like I was in the streets of Barcelona oh, yeah. when I was reading it. So, and in a different time period. So it's, yes. I could see where that would influence you. <laughs> well, the, how I love to end our show here is with our bonus pairings. And these are just a Ooh. speed round of questions uh -oh. here. Oh no. Okay. So <laughs> where is your favorite place to read? On the beach. Love it. Okay. And then what is one book you've read that has changed your life? Lord of the Rings. Okay. And then are you a rereader? Of my own work, never. Of certain books like To Kill a Mockingbird or Jane Eyre, real true classics, sometimes I'll read every de decade. Okay. Do you find that you get different perspectives as you yeah. reread that then? in such a different time period of your life, I imagine. Okay, and then lastly, what are you reading next? I am reading Chris Whitaker's All the Colors of the Dark next. I should have it right here, but I don't have it. He wrote a debut novel a couple of years ago that I loved called um, We Begin at the End. Okay. And it's it was a very kind of a, a thriller with a real heart um, and a real strong sense of uh, time and place and setting. And so I'm looking forward to his next book. Oh, well, I hope it's a great one for you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know your time is precious and I appreciate all you've given me. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to you and your listeners um, for their service. I am, I am honored to be able to write this book um, and I hope they love it. I had asked them really quick right before we got on. I said, anybody have any questions? And they're like, just tell her to never stop writing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think that's a safe bet. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much. Have a nice week. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today with Kristen Hanna and books that have influenced her life. Please visit bookishflights.com. That is also where you can find more information about today's book flight or other books that we talked about. 
I want to inspire a community of readers. So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are reading next, especially if you have heard about it on the show, please tag us on Facebook or Instagram at Bookish Flights. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Your review not only helps the show, but it also helps the podcast to reach others. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to make sure you will not miss an episode. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. As Emma Thompson said, I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Cheers to you, dear readers. Until next time.